the air, right center field. Varsho sprinting back, getting to the warning track at the wall, and it's gone. Into the second row above the wall in right center field, Mitch Garver makes it a lapper with a three-run home run. And the Rangers have turned it into a blowout. 10-0 over Toronto. 7-1 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Adnan Verk's going to join us in just a moment here to kick off Hour 2. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Before we get to Adnan, I need to remind everybody that we are giving away tickets today and tomorrow to see Adam Sandler's stand-up tour. The first date, because the tour begins in Vancouver on Thursday, October 12th. All you got to do, is send in a what we learned, hashtag it WWL, and add a ticket emoji. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. If you want tickets to see Sandler, not just do stand-up, but start his new tour in October, we're giving away tickets today and tomorrow. Uh, did you see Uncut Gems? I haven't seen it yet. No, it's, we talked about this. It's too, I've never watched it because I'm never in the mood to be like really stressed out by a movie. Yeah, my buddy watched. He said it was like frenetic to the point of sweating. You're like it's, panicking while it's watching. Really, it. really good. Yeah, okay. I didn't like it. Really good. I honestly didn't. I've now set the stage yeah. for a movie review from our next guest. Who is better equipped to give a review of a movie that came out three years ago? Adnan uh, <laughs> Verk joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Morning, Adnan. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike, Jason. Of course, I saw it. I was visiting my dear friend Ben Lines when I was in Los Angeles a few years ago. And he said, hey, I got tickets to a sneak peek of Uncut Gems. I go, oh, yeah, I can't wait. New Sassy Brothers movie. I'm Sandler. So we see it, and I liked it. It's very jittery. I'd never want to see again because it may be so uncomfortable. But it's a credit to the Sassy Brothers who are very talented young directors, Benny and Josh. And Sandler's excellent. I mean, he's, he's definitely very convincing as a gambler in over his head, and he's uh, irritating and obnoxious and yet oddly charismatic because that is Adam Sandler, a good supporting cast, Tony Saragusa among them. So afterwards, I see Sandler, and I just want to get a quick picture. And I'm not a huge Adam Sandler fan, I'll be honest. I, I don't crazy about the water boy and all that kind of stuff, but I did love Punch Drunk Love. And uh, so I said quick pictures. Like, yeah, sure, cool, really nice guy. Uh, and then I see one of the Safety brothers, and I can't remember if it was Benny or Josh. I think it's Benny, who's also an actor. And I go, hey, I got one gripe with your movie. He goes, yeah, I go, it's really well done. I go, let's be good. He's like, uh-huh. I said, but the one scene, he says, put ESPN back on. And I said, it's a Turner game. He said, why do I go? It's an NBA playoff game. And the reason I know that is because you see the bug. The bug, of course, scored by the corner. And it's Kevin Harlan's voice. So I said, when Sandler goes and puts this kid back, back, I said, hey, put the game back at ESPN. It's TNT. And the look on his face, the blood drains from his face. <laughs> Apparently, he has the movie on his phone. He immediately starts looking it up, and I'm like, hey, I'm just letting you know. Like, as a guy who works at ESPN, like, and most sports fans would know the difference between Mike Breen and Kevin Harlan. I mean, yeah, that's not a big deal. And my friend Ben Lyons, like he was going to throttle me. Like, why are you telling this guy this? I'm like, hey, if I was a director, I'd want someone to tell me how to clean it up. So, to this day, if you go back and watch it, you can see that's one of the mistakes in the movie, which I did catch. But I, I think it is a really entertaining movie, and... And more importantly, the Safety brothers are good guys. As a sports fan, what is the most um, frustrating thing that you see in movies? 
Well, I think it's in the natural. I can't remember the specifics of it. Tim Kirchner did a deep dive with it one time. But essentially, I think the road team is wearing the wrong jersey or the road team walks off. Or I, got, mm-hmm. I can't remember the specifics of it. But it, it was, when he told me, it was so egregious that I was shocked. I'm like, wait, this is in the natural, which is viewed as like one of the greatest base movies ever. He's like, oh, yeah, it's so bad. And, of course, Tim was upset because Robert Duvall plays like the meanest sports writer ever. So it was making the entire profession look bad. But I'd have to look it up. It's specifically to the natural, which is very appalling. Does it bother you when there's like non-major league affiliated uniforms or teams? Like for some reason that just bothers me. Yeah, I'm with you, Jason. It's a little bit uh, off-putting, like, in any given Sunday. Like, I just wish that it was, like, the Dolphins and the Patriots or everything said, yeah. like, these made-up names, like the Sharks and stuff. Like, I wish, because when it happens, I out of the movie, and I start thinking it's like arena football. And I think it's arena football, with all due respect, I don't want arena football. Well, it's not really as good as the NFL. But I think it's like the NFL, but it's not. So, yeah, it definitely, maybe it's a subtle thing for some, but for me, I'm with you. It annoys me. It definitely takes me out of the movie a little bit. Here's here's the Thunder Rattlers against the Sharks. I'm like, nah, this is not real football. We're speaking to Adnan Verk here from MLB Network on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, the actual baseball, Adnan. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. It's tough times right now in Toronto. You tweeted out yesterday that you uh, you said that the Jays were in serious trouble. Just how serious is the trouble that the Jays are in right now? <laughs> well, this is about as painful as it gets. I mean, you've got a showdown series against the Rangers. And let's try to start positive first. You had this stretch against the cupcake teams. And you went 10-6, and six, pretty good. Specifically, nine games against three really bad teams, and they were 4-2 and two going into the weekend series against the Royals. And I was like, you know what? you got to play better than that. you got to sweep the Royals. And they did. Great. So 7-2 and two against, I believe it was Nationals, A's, Royals. Great. Take care of business. But now it gets intense. 18 straight games against teams above 500 to finish the year, and most importantly, games within their division, which the Jays are abhorrent at. And... They're going to lose every possible tiebreaker because now the showdown series of the Rangers, in which they had a game-and-a-half lead going in. They were the second wild card. And now they've just been smoking these three games, particularly last night, 10 to nothing. Absolutely embarrassing. I mean, I was saying to some guys, if they take two or three against the Rangers, that could be ball game. Like, you've got a Texas team that's reeling, although they had won a couple of straight games over the weekend against the A's coming in. But I said, if you can take three or four against Texas, you can really put the boots to them. Instead, it's gone the other way. And Texas has won three straight. Now they've won five straight games, and they've rediscovered their offense. And this is the 25th time they've scored 10 or more runs in a game this season. They're 24-1 and when that happens. And it's Jonah Heim, and it's Corey Seager, and it's Simeon, and it's Grossman, and all the rest of it. And so it's, it's a, really as bad as it could have gone for the Blue Jays. They've got to hope they salvage today. As bad as it is, if you've got to think positive, they're only one game out of a wild card spot, which is now the Mariners holding that final spot. Seattle has finally cooled off after a sizzling August, so they're stumbling at the right time for Toronto. But you don't want to back into the playoffs, and you have to win some games. And uh, it's really been tough to watch. Kikuchi going in last night, fellas, he's been like one of the comeback players of the year. He's been so good for them. But he gets lit up, and their offense, I looked at Vlad Jr.'s numbers, his OPS plus, and again, for those who are not analytically inclined, 100 is an average player. I believe it's 114. That's the lowest since his rookie season and it's 20 lower than a year ago. And you saw him. I'm watching the game last night. He popped up. I think it was the fourth. And you see him visibly frustrated, like in, in the dugout, like punching stuff, getting angry. I'm like, well, yeah, like Vladdy realizes it's on him. And Bo Bichette, since coming back, again, he's probably still hurt. I'll give him, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But in five games so far, he's got two hits. He's done nothing. So Bichette and Vladdy got to get going for this team to start winning. 
Okay, so you're at MLB Network and you're surrounded by, you know, former players and analysts and pundits and insiders. So there's a lot of people that have information at their fingertips. Anybody there, does anybody there have any idea what the hell's going on between Alec Manoa and the Blue Jays organization? <laughs> I wish, man. It's definitely a, a quandary, Mike, trying to figure exactly what's happened. But all we know is, you know, what the numbers are on the field, which has been, he's been a disappointment. And I think... And it was something, obviously, I'm going to guess mental health issues or something psychological. Let's put it that way, because it's if it's physically related, you know, you almost like have a responsibility to say what it is. Like, no matter what it is, like, you know, Max Scherzer gets hurt the other day. They don't just, like, say in hockey, upper body injury, lower body. Do they say, hey, he's hurt, there's what it is. So with Scherzer, it's like, yeah, he's going to try some injuries, done for the season. Okay. So if it was Manoa, if it was something physical, they'd say, yeah, he needs Tommy John or he has a biceps injury or something happened to his UCL, et cetera. So if you look at the total evidence, he starts the year, he's horrible. They sit him down to the minors. They call him back up, I think, too quickly. He only had two starts. One was bad, one was good. He was really good against the Tigers. Then he was okay, didn't look good again. And they sent him back down again. Now they're at this impasse where you feel like there's something more going on than just the fact he hasn't been a good pitcher. So I don't know the specifics of the situation, but you have to look at it, fellas, and go, Again, it's remarkable the Blue Jays are in this position without Manoa, a guy who was third in the signing of voting a year ago, and yet they've got starters who, last night notwithstanding, and Chris Bassett the other night notwithstanding, have been excellent. Like, their starters are a second best in the American League. So it's kind of shocking Toronto's done so well without Manoa. But what you have to do is now look at that situation and start fresh. You really can't say to yourself, next year, opening day, 2024, Manoa's in the rotation. You can't do it. you got to go, all right. He was awesome. He had a horrible year. I don't know where things stand. I, I don't know. Is he going to go back to being what he once was? Is he going to be average? Is he washed up? Like, I can give you a list of players who were great early on that never recovered. Java Chamberlain, et cetera. So I hope that's not the case for Manoa. I hope if it's a mental health issue, he gets it rectified. I hope whatever physical issues with mechanics, he gets it done. I hope if there's any problems specifically with Blue Jays management, they get that ironed out with his agent. Again, I can't speculate because I don't know the details. But I think you really have to take a giant step back. And you can't say Manoa's one of the top four starters on the team. You can't even say he's top five, quite frankly, because you know, Ryu's going to be gone. I get that. Came off Tommy John. He'll be a free agent. He's older. But the rest of these guys have been really good. Gossman, Barrios, Bassett, Kikuchi. So Manoa's your five? Okay. But we're, we're still a long ways away from him even pitching right now, the way it feels like from what we're hearing. Hey, Adnan, who is David Stearns? And can he turn the Mets around? Well, there's a lot of buzz around here, Jason, as we've joked about. You know, it's the greatest baseball season ever, except if you're a fan of the Mets or the Yankees. But they're having parties in the streets right now here in New York because of the fact that Stearns is the guy they wanted all along. So, quite simply, he helped the Brewers and transformed that organization when they weren't spending any money. And even now, they're a mid-market team. They don't spend much, and they're still successful, and they're still going to win a division. So in many ways, they're hoping they can follow the blueprint of Andrew Friedman, who for years while running the Rays had no money and yet built him into a juggernaut. Then he went to the Dodgers and was given an actual payroll and the best payroll in baseball. So, oh, man, I can really make you guys good now and wins the World Series in 2020 and they're perennial contenders. So for Stearns, when you look at back when he took over the Brewers, they were 30th in payroll the first two years, and then he built them up. Specifically, Corbin Burns is a great draft pick. Christian Yelich trade was very good. Um, uh, Brandon Woodruff as well. So, like, he, he's definitely been a, a really sharp eye for building his team. The Mets wanted him for a couple of years. Milwaukee did not give them permission to talk to him and to wait till his contract was done. And so this has been a, 
a long gestating rumor. Now they finally got it figured out. So he's the president. Billy Epler is the GM for now. Maybe he'll get reassigned. Hasn't gone well for Epler, but he and Stearns apparently are good friends. So I don't think he's going to lose his job. He may get reassigned. And I don't think Buck Schultz is going to get fired necessarily. So Buck's got one year left of this deal. Stearns might come in and go, okay, he's not my guy. He wasn't my pick. But for one year, we're going to try to get younger anyways. The story is the Mets are not going to spend big this offseason. They're not going to be in on Otani. They're going to let these young prospects develop, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, et cetera. And then maybe in 2025, they'll gear up and spend some money. Basically, what Steve Cohen realized is, I'm going to throw a bunch of money and try and be a quick fix winner. It didn't work. Okay, now I'll wait a year or two, be a little bit more patient, let these prospects develop. And Stearns is a big numbers guy, Jason, just like Cohen. He's a big numbers guy. He's big in analytics. So he and Steve Cohen speak the same language. He's youngish. Uh, he grew up in New York. He grew up a lifelong Mets fan. So just like Steve Cohen, he's a guy who's fulfilling his lifelong dream. So it sounds like really good news for the Mets. Now we'll turn, turn this team around. 38 year, years old, uh, Harvard grad. And then how much do these guys make? Great question. You know, I think, uh, I would always think, because managers, I was like, it's like a minimum of like, I don't know, 150 grand, 250, okay, maybe 300. A good manager, Terry Frank, obviously in the millions. All right, that makes sense. So I would always, always think, well, if, if managers are hundreds of thousands, well, then general managers should be, a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a guy like Stearns is a multimillionaire. Right. Does that mean three years, $6 million? I don't know how many years he's signed for, but I generally think they're multimillionaires. But you don't ever hear, like, you can never hear Brian Cashman making $7 million a year. Like, generally, they keep it fairly quiet. By the way, I think Cashman does make a lot of money. I don't know if it's that much, but uh, that's my guess. If, if someone just said, what's the number? I'd say David Stearns is a multimillionaire, you know, multi-year contract. That's my best guess. Adnan, thanks for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. All right, fellas. Thanks so much. I'm an Eagles fan, so big game against the Vikings. Hopefully next time we speak, we're 2-0. Yeah, I think you're going to be. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Thanks, Adnan. Appreciate it, bud. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Take care. Adnan Verk here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. He mentioned Thursday night football tonight. Week two of the NFL season gets underway. It is the Eagles. It is the Vikings in Philadelphia. Eagles are six-point favorites. Uh, I thought it might be a little bit higher, but I guess that makes sense. The Vikings did not look good in week one. They lost to Tampa Bay mm-hmm. at home. It did not look good. I don't have a lot of high hopes for that team. I think the last year was a bit of a mirage because they won so many close games. And I think eventually your luck kind of runs out. But on the subject of the National Football League, two stories I want to pass along before uh, Luke Shen joins us at 730. Yes, that's right. Former Canucks defenseman Luke Shen, now with the National Predators, is going to join us at 730. Uh, One story, which I feel remiss in not picking up on earlier, has to do with local boy, Abbotsford's very own, Chase Claypool. It's not good, is it? It's not a good story. It's not good. Chase Claypool might be a healthy scratch. On the weekend, they don't use that terminology in the NFL, but that's basically what it would be. Mm, yeah. He'd be inactive for non-injury reasons because, according to well, everything that people have put on social media with clips of his play on the weekend, Chase Claypool ain't trying very hard. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a real lack of effort and engagement in his play. His He's head giving, coach giving, called him out, given the Jimmy Graham blocking effort. And I mean, I, they'd be happy with a Jimmy Graham blocking effort. I <laughs> uh, was some of the clips that are making the rounds on social media right now. So. Claypool had a very lackluster performance against the Packers in the Bears' opening loss uh, on Sunday last weekend to the point where 
they're considering making him inactive for this weekend's game at Tampa Bay. And that's a that's a big deal. I know, I know he wasn't the the one piece that they brought over to finally give Justin Fields some weapons, but he was one of the pieces. They spent a second-round pick to acquire him, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of thought that whatever might have gone wrong personnel-wise or stylistically in Pittsburgh was going to be a thing of the past because, remember, when Claypool broke into the NFL, and it was only three years ago, he was a rookie in 2020, he looked like he was going to be maybe not necessarily a star, but a really, really good receiver for a really long time. When he broke into the NFL, he had nearly 900 receiving yards and nine touchdowns as a rookie. So what's the story? Have you if you if you've been reading yeah. into it, like what's what's the deal? Why is he playing with such little effort? There were reports going back to June, coming from OTAs and workouts that Chase Claypool wasn't a guy that was self-motivated and wasn't a guy that was going to have the fire burning within that he always need poking and prodding to work hard. Now, this is all unnamed reports, anonymous sources, and yes, I'm relaying it to you. This is an article from NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, The quote is from one of their on-air hosts. I believe it's Mark Silverman. And he said, I've heard from a few people inside that building that he, Chase Claypool, is not somebody who is very self-motivated. There's a long way to go. Only Chase Claypool can change that narrative. Now, this was in June. Which is going to be a problem because he's not very self-motivated. Yeah, right? Like, (laughs) I, I think that was the writing was on the wall there. So... I remember thinking that when he broke out and he bust, and I followed his career arc for yeah. a while because he was an absolute stud playing high school football in Abbotsford, like borderline unstoppable given his physical right. attributes. Then went to one of the most storied football programs in the history of the sport in Notre Dame and showed out there. And then I remember we had um, uh, Farhan Lalji on the show back when we were at 1040 a couple times leading up. And they were like, are they going to try and convert him to a tight end? Mm-hmm. Does he profile as a wide receiver? And he was adamant that Chase Claypool had all the physical attributes to be a legitimate top end wide receiver in the NFL. And then year one, he went out and did it. Mm-hmm. And then it's just been all downhill since then. Well, and don't forget in the NFL, your career can be over real quick. The NFL stands for not for long. If you're dogging it, right? Uh, so, what was the other story? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers addressed his future and his playing future specifically uh, on Instagram, as the kids do nowadays, although Aaron Rodgers is damn near 40. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, really his first and only public comments since his season-ending Achilles injury, uh, wrote on Instagram, quote, I'm completely heartbroken and moving through all of the emotions, but deeply touched and humbled by the support and love. Please keep me in your thoughts and prayers as I begin the healing process today. Then he closed with, the night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again. Tell me you've seen the dark night without telling me you've seen the dark night. So I, I don't sh- know. I shall, the, ri- I shall rise yet again. He, did he also say he's been humbled? Uh, yeah. No, that didn't make it into the, the No, post. it did. It did. It started out. It was uh, all the all the messages that he received. Oh, it is. Deeply yeah. touched and humbled. Deeply yes. touched and humbled. And then I shall rise yet again. So, so one I- of my good buddies, Jesus, here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have not, not to compare myself to Jesus, but I will rise yet again. I have not seen The Dark Knight, but does The Dark Knight at any point in the movie suffer a ruptured Achilles? Actually, several times, yes. Really? Does he come back from it? Uh, yes, yeah, several oh, times. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Because the, <laughs> the, the Steelers the, are in the third movie. 
the takeaway. They, yeah. they are. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah, they, no, are. they are. I, I have They're to dressed up as it. the Gotham football team, mm-hmm. but they are. So yeah. the comments came after the head coach, Robert Sala, said that uh, he would be, quote-unquote, shocked if this is the way Aaron's going to go out. So he's anticipating that Rodgers is going to come back and play. The Jets' owner, Woody Johnson, tweeted something out, like an inspirational video, like, we'll see you soon, along those lines. Um, Luke Shannon's going to join us in about 10 minutes. I wanted to pass along a story, too. Oh, and I know which one. A-Dog, you're going to love this, because your spirit animal, Andre Kuzmenko, has had to give up. Waffles. Yep, that's a story. So he's, tough, scene, tough scene. He's uh, tough. Tough scene. He's there's an article with uh, by Ian McIntyre, and it's up on uh, Sportsnet.ca. Yep. And some of the quotes are just adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuzmenko said, "Last season was so bad for me, my weight. Now I lose weight. Last summer I ate a lot of waffles. Yep. So iMac was like, I have a follow up question." I have several followers. Uh, he said, uh, waffle, waffles with syrup and, and, and whipped cream? Uh, no, it's worse. <laughs> waffles then, uh, is it Nutella? 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 Nutella. I, Nutella. Nutella. I, I, I don't, yeah, I've tried it. I don't care for it. Then strawberries, then bananas. Well, bananas, that's fine. At least as iMac notes, there was fruit. Um, so I'll just, I'll just let you know right now, being around youngsters as you are now, mm-hmm. You will have a Nutella phase. Well, you said it was Nutella. You can go either way. We okay. do all types of pronunciation on here. Technically, right. it should be Nutella. Nut- Nutella? Because it's derived yes. from hazelnuts, right? So you okay. don't call them a hazel newt. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and all the parents out there right now are nodding along in their cars, bleary-eyed as they mm. get, or wherever you're listening. Maybe your breakfast nook yeah, with some Nutella. There's probably Nutella all over the backseat. <laughs> so you will be requested to give your kid a Nutella sandwich at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it it's just so it's like a chocolate sandwich, basically a chocolate spread. Yeah, okay. and he, and, but the point being, um, it is horrifically unhealthy. I can't under understate how it's mm-hmm. it's everything you think it would be. Well, Kuzmenko loved it, right? And so you know, I think the bigger story here, not to take anything serious away from an article that focuses on one man and his love and divorce to, of waffles, but. Um, <laughs> Kuzmenko's health rig- I don't remember talking about someone's health and workout more Oh I do. A- Kyle Wellwood. No, but there wasn't any um workout. <laughs> yeah, there was. No. Yeah, oh no, there was a there was a remember they went through like Kyle Wellwood and Steve Bernie. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. No, he did. I don't remember Kyle Wellwood ever. Well, you're fit. wrong. You you oh. don't remember they both got fit and they both got worse at hockey by being fit. Right. <laughs> No, I, that was I, the theory. Remember, we were oh, like, I remember Bernier. They're, they're way happier when they're a little pudgy. Steve, yeah, Steve Bernier had. God, this is into the archives, but he had this move that Bruff coined the Bernier body splash. It wasn't quite a hit, right? But he just sort of exploded onto the boards. He threw. He just threw himself at at players. Like the body splash is the best way to explain it. Yeah, he was like Nutella splash. Yeah, right. And then Nutella gave. He would him actually yell that on the ice. <laughs> but <laughs> he was a little heavier, and I felt like it almost gave him like totally I- I- installation and padding mm-hmm. because he was a little bit bigger. It was like he- an uh, it was like an offensive lineman. Yeah. Uh, we do have to get to Luke Shen in five minutes, but I uh, I wanted to pass along this quote as well because when Kuzmenko was traveling the world, uh, he was over in Bali and he found some ice. Believe it or not. Um, he flew in a coach from Russia. And I just want to read this quote. He's not happy, coach. He is, let's go, let's go, let's go. 
It's so hard, yes, it's work, work. But this summer is so simple for me to prepare for season because I have coaches. For my body, it's very good. I love that start. He's not happy, coach. <laughs> is he sad, coach? No, more angry, coach. He, he, he's not Bruce Boudreaux, coach. That is he's that not he's an angry, coach. coach. <laughs> he's an angry, coach. Uh, Luke Shen is going to join us next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Why do you mock me, oh lord? Oh my, that's not gone. That's just a waffle that Bart tossed up there. I know I shouldn't eat thee, but... Mm, sacrilegious. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get it across, and it's Luke Shen that'll drive the net. Scores! Luke Shen, his first goal with the Vancouver Canucks. 7.32 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. You heard him on the call. Luke Shen is going to join us in just a moment here. A highlight of Hour 2. All due respect to Adnan Burke, who was great, by the way. Uh, hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Three now a member of the Nashville Predators. Luke Shen joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Luke. How are you? Good. How are you guys? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to start with one of your ex-teammates in Vancouver, Quinn Hughes, who, as I'm sure you know, is now the newest and 15th captain in franchise history. What was your reaction upon hearing the news that the Canucks had named Hughes captain? Yeah, I mean... Uh like an older brother just proud of him <laughs> that's that's uh you know Quinn and I have a great great relationship obviously um you know got the chance to play with him in his first couple of games in the NHL and and uh you know obviously in the last year and a half uh played a, a good fair uh fair share of, you know with one another on the ice um a lot of minutes logged together and um just he's a he's a great great kid and um you know, like I said, just really proud of him. Obviously, I think in my mind it was it was the right choice. I think, you know, he's uh, he's young, but he's matured a lot in in this past few years, and from what I've seen, and um, you know, has the chance of, of becoming a great leader. And I think there's some great guys around him as well too, um, as far as leaders that are going to help him too. And you know, the obvious ones stick out. Um, you know, obviously from Millsy to PD, but I think other guys too that are going to help him too, from a guy like Tyler Myers and. Tanner Pearson and, and other guys too that maybe don't get a, you know some of the recognition, but yeah, just real proud of Quinn and I think uh, like I said it was a great choice in my opinion and um, he's going to keep getting better obviously on the ice, but from a leadership standpoint too, I think you know he's one guy that's not afraid to kind of say the right thing at the right time and he's going to develop more and more uh, vocally and into that sort of off ice role. So um, great choice in my mind and uh, I think uh, you know everyone should be. Uh, you know, proud that they got them and uh, him, him in the organization and, and uh, you know, representing the, the franchise and the city and, and the, the province. You mentioned that you were around when he broke into the NHL and first started playing. And, look, he's not the biggest 
most physically imposing. He's a little diminutive, and when he broke in, he had a little bit of a baby face. What was it like when you first literally saw Quinn Hughes, and then what was the reaction when you saw him play for the first time? Well, exactly kind of what you said. I mean, it's kind of like um, it, it's hard to describe because when he first came there, I think he just got – he might have been hurt a little bit. He came out of Michigan and was about to, you know, play his first game, but I think it took him a week or two to kind of get healthy, and you're kind of looking at this guy, and you're kind of wondering how is this guy going to play in the NHL, just looking at the size of him at that time in particular. And um, then he gets on the ice, and you just see him, the way he can skate and kind of how he is on his edges and being able to skate his way um, – sort of out of tough situations or out of trouble. And then the thing that stood out to me was just kind of, you know, being a small guy, but how he can zip pass is literally, you know, just quick tape to tape. And um, just his, uh, his ability to make plays under pressure too. And sort of like a lot of young guys coming in today, just the confidence. I mean, not, not a lot kind of rattles him and um, truly believes, you know, he's as good as he is and if not better too. And, just the confidence in him, uh, you know, he he was able to show that in the first couple of games um, that I played with him, and towards down towards the end of the year, down the stretch, you know how how much better he gotten in a in a short amount of period of time. And then I went away for a couple of years and came back, and I couldn't believe how much better he was. Obviously, I followed and watched on TV, and you know, kept in touch with him, but he was that much better. And yeah, just he's continued to grow, which is what you want in a young defenseman. And it's uh, you know he's he's developing into one of the best young defensemen. Uh, defenseman in the NHL. Luke, tell us about your decision to join the Nashville Predators. What were your conversations like with, and this still seems weird, uh, the new general manager, Barry Trotz? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Nashville's, I, I've always really enjoyed coming to Nashville on the road and, you know, it's it's an unbelievable city, but I think uh, from an organization standpoint, there's been a little turnover with bringing in Trotz as the GM, which, like you said, is uh strange in some people's eyes and I played for him years ago probably he might have been my first coach in the world championships when I played probably 15 years ago or so so I've known him for a a while and um, he's in the Okanagan in the summertime too but I don't really cross paths with him there besides uh, I think I was at the same uh, Shea Weber's wedding with him in the summertime years ago too but uh, every time we played against him whether he was coaching Nashville or Washington or the Islanders I always kind of bump into him in the hallways and you know have a little chat with him so just one of those guys. I mean, the hockey world's small. You kind of bump into and and uh, you know have a little a little chat with. And then yeah, when he became the GM, um, yeah, I, I kind of heard there's interest uh, as we got closer to, to free agency. And um, you know, I good friends. I, I have some really good buddies on this team, and Tyson Berry and Ryan McDonough. as far as, uh, you know, bringing in some good veteran guys and, you know, guys who've had some experience and won and kind of blending that in with uh, some good young players who we got here and guys who are ready to take the next step. Kind of, a, you know, somewhat of a similar situation, I guess, maybe to Vancouver in a sense where you got a great goalie and some guys to build around on the decor. You know, we got Yossi. <laughs> I guess he's comparable to, to Husey. And then, yeah, you surround him with some good um, older veteran guys and some good young forwards and, um a, a new coach too and brunette former player who's well respected i guess similar to talk so i guess there's some similarities in the in the way the organizations are heading and um really really excited to be here right now you got a young family has it been hard to go back and forth between all these teams in the last few years <laughs> it's been a bit of a grind that way but i mean uh yeah obviously my wife is uh you know 
real supportive and understands that part of the business. But there's no question uh, the moving is isn't easy at times. I mean, we got a, a six year old, a three year old, and a six month old. So <laughs> we've been putting on the miles, and uh, you know it was tough last year. Um, you know, I got traded from Vancouver. I think a week before she was due to, uh, to Toronto, but Toronto they were so good in first class and taking care of us and making sure everything uh, we got everything we needed. You know, from Brendan Shanahan helping out uh, to Kyle Dubas and Spets and just the whole staff. They were so uh, so supportive and it couldn't have gone to a better spot as far as that. So that makes it easier on the family situation. But there's no question, um, you know, the moving is. Uh, it's tough, but everything happens for a reason. And every time I go back and, and look back at the situation, the opportunity, it's all kind of worked itself out. So, um, yeah, grateful for all the opportunities. And I think, uh, you know, landed in a great spot in Nashville. I'm really happy to be here right now. So the rumor has always been that you wanted to make Vancouver your home after your playing career. That could be completely wrong. We we love rumors, and we'll run with them, <laughs> even if they're not confirmed. But The rumor business. Yeah, 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 yeah we love rumors. They're terrific. They they. they the listeners love them too. Um, is that? Do you like? How do you? How do you look at that? I mean, I know you're not ready to retire yet, but do, like, do you? Do you have plans for the future? Like, do you? Is is that? Is there any truth to that? That you you, you want to make Vancouver home eventually, or do you kind of go into this with an open mind and and go like, man, maybe maybe we like Nashville and we end up staying there? Yeah, I mean, every time I try to predict the future, you know, make a plan, it always goes pretty much the opposite direction i think you know when i signed in vancouver when i went back and signed in vancouver you know after leaving tampa uh i i kind of thought in my mind well you know this is close to home close to Kelowna. uh i love my time in vancouver the the short time i was there the first time so i thought you know maybe um you know there's an opportunity to uh, like i said finish off my career there and you never know transition into uh, whatever else after hockey whether it's in hockey or um something outside of hockey but um, you know, and now I'm went to Toronto from there and Nashville after there. And, um, yeah, so I have no idea what's going to happen. Obviously I, I love, like I said, the city of Vancouver and the organization, obviously there's been a lot of turnover in organization in the organization. When I first signed there, it was, um, you know, obviously greener was the coach and, and Jim Benning was the GM. And, uh, you know, a few months later, the whole management's changed and coaches and everything. And um, so, yeah, it's just so hard to predict anything. But there's no question I have uh, fond memories of uh, my time with the, with the Canucks and the organization and uh, the city and the community. It's uh, we 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 had a great time there and established even you know some friendships outside the team. And um, yeah, so who knows? But in saying that too, uh, Nashville's a great spot. We got you know, some of our best friends here that we've ever played with, like I mentioned before, um, you know, and Tyson Berry and we're really close to the McDonough's. So we, we've already kind of got some friends here and we're getting, uh, you know, a bit of a lay of the land in Nashville right now. And it's, uh, it's been great. So I think that's the one thing about, you know, everywhere I've gone, even, even though I've moved, you know, quite a bit, I've always looked back in my memories and, um, you've played in some great spots, but I think the people along the way that you meet is, uh, you know, some of them, the the highlights for sure so um yeah i mean who knows the way things are going to shape up but uh yeah no, who knows uh no need to start any rumors i guess yeah you're not alone in making plans yeah. that never come to fruition we do that all the time they always uh like i said they go the opposite way yeah, so i try I to stop making them. i was supposed to be a doctor yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking to luke shen here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 hey luke you mentioned that you you know 
relationship with Barry Trotz prior. You've played for a lot of different coaches in this league, like John Cooper, Daryl Sutter, Ron Wilson, Randy Carlisle, Dave Haxel, have talked in a couple different spots. So you've played memory lane, going down memory lane right there with all the coaches. Yeah, well, I mean that that's the thing is you played for a lot of these guys and you developed the relationships right. there. Did any of those coaches ever ask you to see some family pictures and to get to know you? <laughs> oh my moment? God. I have not been asked that. No, yeah. I have not. Well, I mean, this is the thing that's sitting out there, right? Like you obviously heard <laughs> like everybody else about the Babcock thing. What was your reaction when you heard that? Uh, you know what? I don't want to get into it too, too much. I mean, uh, it's, I, I, I'd known about that for a while. I'll just say that. I mean, okay. it's, uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised when it came out the other day, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a, definitely a, a private thing. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go and ask to go in anyone's, uh, photo album for sure. I mean, it, it's one thing I, I think if, you know, you got kids or go on a family vacation or, um, you know, wedding or whatever, and you want to bring up some photos for sure. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one to, uh, to see, you know, whether you're exchanging or not. It's, uh, I don't, I don't want to get into it, but, but yeah, it's, um, you know, hopefully there's, there's no more of that, you know, going into the, the privacy things for sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it seems like everyone is in, in agreement with it, uh, in Columbus and, um, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, I'll let you off the, yeah. I'll let you off the hook here. Who is a coach? that you played for that you think went about it the right way in terms of the relationship between coach and player? Honestly, I think, I think talks right up there. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of one of the guys that, you know, his, his, one of his things is, you know, you want to, you want to talk, you want to get to know each other. Let's, let's go have a beer. <laughs> so he, he said that right in Arizona. And I, I think mm-hmm. he's kind of got that former player mentality in him where, you know, you, you agree with something great. If you don't disagree, like, let's talk about it. Let's be mad about it. Obviously it's a working relationship. Um, you know, he said that right when the first thing he came, the first day he came into Vancouver last year too, like, you know, let's, let's talk. But my office is open. I think, um, you know, Cooper is another guy too, who's approachable. Um, you know, he'd, he'd want to go out and have a beer with you too. I remember in the bubble, you know, he wouldn't be afraid to kind of mix it up and talk to guys, but yet how the, uh, the balance of being a coach and, you know, obviously having the power, but, you know, having respect to the players and there's no, no uh, doubt why he's successful in the league. Um, Craig, Craig Rube is another guy that comes to mind. I played for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother's played for him pretty much every year of his career, except for maybe one between Philly and yeah, St. Right. Louis and uh, him and chief have a great relationship. And it's kind of all those similar uh, characteristics where, you know, they're the coach and yet they have the the power and, um, have respect to players, but at the end of the day, they're just one of the guys too. And um, I think that's why it's those guys have success is because they understand it from both ends. They understand what it might be like to be, you know, a player, and um, also on the flip side, being a coach. And uh, that's that's typically you know why you get the most of the players is because you can have those conversations that you know could be hockey, could be family, could be anything in between. And yet at the end of the day, they might come in you know, give you a kick in the butt before practice or in the mm-hmm. intermission or whatever. And you respect that because uh, you know where they're coming from. And it's because you build relationships with these guys. What did you take from the culture in Tampa Bay? We have a lot of conversations about the culture in Vancouver and there's a new leadership group now, and they're going to be tasked with setting the culture, creating a new culture. 
hopefully one that's successful and creates a winning environment in Vancouver. I can't think of a better team in terms of creating a winning environment over the last few years than the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, the culture is unbelievable in Tampa, and that's I. To me, it's, it's you know, like I said, we, we touched on leadership, and obviously there's leadership from you know Julian Brisewall and ownership and, uh, and and Jeff Finnick, but also John Cooper. But I think that you know the real leadership and the real success is the leadership you know within the dressing room. And at the end of the day, those are the guys that are getting it done. And um, you know, you have leaders in there like Stamkos and Hedman, and you know, we had McDonough and Alex Kalorn. The list goes on and on. Or if you go back and look at our roster, not guys on the ice only, but you know, the way personalities were off the ice, the the room kind of ran itself. And a lot of the times, we didn't need. You know, coaches would obviously come in and make in-game adjustments, and there's there's no there's no question that you know Coop would come in, and sometimes it's a kick in the butt, sometimes it's you know. Uh, something a little motivation wise to get you over the edge. And sometimes it'd just be the players kind of figuring it out, whether you're down a goal going into the third or up a goal, you know, it, it, uh, it fell on our shoulders and we had the leadership in that room that, um, you know, could, could kind of get through any situation. So I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, we kind of had a thing where we're, you know, bad teams kind of no one would lead and, uh, good teams, uh, you know, coaches lead and great teams, players lead. So that was kind of, you know, one of the things that stuck with me is that in order to be a great team, the players got to be able to lead themselves and, and hold each other accountable. And I think that's what culture is, is, you know, when you get the guys in, inside the room to buy in and know what the expectation is and um, know what it takes to kind of, or willing to do whatever it takes to kind of, you know, win is, is uh, that's when, you know, you got a good culture. How big is the discrepancy between a team with a great culture and a bad team with no culture? Because they're all, all the teams have great athletes. I mean, they made it to the NHL, so they're pretty good. There's going to be guys that are talented. All teams have practices. Like they, you know, they all, there's a certain standard that each NHL team is going to, to reach. But how different is it? And you're a good guy to talk to because you've seen a bunch of teams um, between yeah, no, no, between yeah. Tampa and and a struggling team. Like, do you know it right away when you walk into a room that has a strong culture versus like, oh god, this this could be a challenge here. I a hundred percent. I I think you nailed it right on the head. I mean, every, at the end of the day, everyone's got really good players. Like, of course, you know, some teams got you know maybe better depth or maybe their star players a little bit better, maybe better goaltending or whatever. But at the end of the day, culture is, I don't want to say everything, but it's, it's a huge part of it. I mean, obviously, um, you know, you look at some of the most successful franchises over the years, um, whether it's, you know, guys following uh, Crosby in Pittsburgh, how good that culture has been, or you look at the culture that Chicago had for a long time, or you could say Tampa or, you know, the Blues, when they won, obviously speaking to my brother, I mean, the Bruins have had it for a long time. It's it's a really hard thing to uh, to gain and, and keep, and it's a really easy, easy thing to lose, in my opinion. So, I mean, you you got to always work to kind of um, strive to have that good culture, and, and you know right, right when you walk in a room what the culture is because, you know, you realize what the standard is around there and what guys are talking about, you know, the work they put in, and not just the work because they're supposed to do it, but because they have a common goal at the end of the day. And I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely the conversations are different in the room, uh, outside the dressing, maybe at dinner, um, of, of, you know, what guys are fighting for. So I think at the end of the day, like I said, it's, uh, 
it's a really hard thing to kind of to probably gain traction and, and to build that culture uh, to be at the top. And it's a really easy thing to kind of for it to fall off. As soon as kind of guys take their foot off the gas, or you know, you get some some maybe guys in the room that maybe don't have the right mentality or attitude. I think uh, mm-hmm. that's what everyone's fighting for is that culture. And I think that's one thing. And you know. In Nashville is what you know Trotsky's kind of talked about in the past, and you know since he's taken over is is the culture, right? So I mean, uh, you definitely want to bring in the right guys and guys who you know have experience and and have been sort of in that sort of situation, and uh, to drag guys who haven't been um, into it and kind of you know uh, get to that level, I guess. So um, it, it's a very easy thing to uh, to not have, and uh, it's a very thing. It's a very hard thing to to gain so um long-winded answer but yeah i think like you said it you definitely know when you're in the right situation in the right room and um that's that's one thing that very important you know when you get to the top leagues for sure well luke thanks for joining us today you're a fan favorite for good reason here in vancouver i thought you played really well in toronto uh in in the playoffs and uh congratulations on the new deal with Nashville and good luck down there trying to set a new culture in Nashville and uh, hopefully we can uh, chat again soon. All right. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. Thanks thanks for coming on Luke. We appreciate it. That's Luke Shen of the Nashville Predators. Yeah, three-year deal in Nashville. He's got some nice security there. That's yeah. awesome. I, I, I looked at it. I was like, "Oh, no trade protection, though." <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and well, like, seriously, right? Like he's been, oh, he's been, he's been everywhere. And then, um, what if? Nashville is in a position where they're looking to sell at, at some point and they want to gain some assets. Like it's it's going to be a process down My there for Nashville. My impression of a three year deal for Luke Shen is that you want him there for the oh for sure. For, I'm not I'm not, I'm not worried about like this trade deadline. No, no, but I'm just saying like I wish he was still on the Canucks. I do too. I really too. I really oh, like yeah. the guy. Like yeah. I, as I mean, he's a very he's very well spoken mm-hmm. which is great for the media mm. perspective and no one really cares he about played him. really well in toronto by the way like i wasn't just was, i wasn't just sucking be- up there no, like, he was really he, good he played very well yeah, yeah he might have been their best or second best defenseman in the playoffs <laughs> yeah. honestly and he was great here he had he oh, performed way above his contract but he stuck up for guys and he wasn't afraid to like i mean you know call guys out mm-hmm. or you know he wanted he was a leader well cuz he's seen a lot of stuff he also he, he, he likes people like he he's told some stories like you know I've had a long career and my memories aren't necessarily like this game we won or this play that happened my memories are from going out to dinners with guys and and, and you know and 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 laughing with teammates and getting to know teammates like he is genuine in that oh, yeah. and I think when you asked him the question about Babcock he was kind of like Listen, he was tap dancing a little bit, and I don't blame him. He doesn't. He doesn't want to create a story that he's not really a part of. But yeah. like, he doesn't respect that way of getting to know someone. He just wants to. He just wants to get to know someone. You know, hang out and have naturally. A beer. Hang just, out and have yeah, a beer. that's yeah. what he said about uh, you know talk. He's like, yeah, I I think he he handles it the right way, right? There's no, there's no. Um, there's no scheme to get to know you. Yeah, exactly. He genuinely wants to get to know you. Yeah, that's and that's the whole point of asking is because I get. I mean, I missed some of the coaches that he played for. He has played for mm-hmm. all the coaches. I'm not even joking. Like all the coaches ever. Like if you go through, there's somewhere like I can't believe he played under him. I forgot about him. That kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Bob Murray was his coach for a handful of games. Yeah, who was his coach in Syracuse? Yeah, like that's the thing. I didn't even go to the AHL teams that he played for, right? Because he, I mean, he was he spent a little bit of time in Utica, right? So yeah, all we I'm, got a text in Luke Shen equals authentic. Authentic is so important. 
Well, he... Like, he just, like the just fact, be yourself, you know? The fact that in the year of our Lord, 2023, Luke Shen is signing a three-year deal worth nearly $10 million is a testament to, like, and it sounds so cliche, but never giving up. Because he was 28 and he was in the American League. Mm-hmm. Like, and everyone was like, the game has passed him by because of the foot speed and the way that the game is played. And it's like perseverance and understanding what you got to do. And character. Just character. People want guys like Luke Shen in the organization. Nashville is going to go through um, probably some tough times over the next few years. They're turning things over. They got a new general manager. They're going to be committing more to the younger players. So they want those veterans like Luke Shen and Ryan O'Reilly around. 